It's our privilege to gather today to worship and now to hear the word of God. I'd like to ask you to turn to Genesis chapter 4 in your Bibles. In the context of the story of Cain and Abel, we have discussed work and children and today worship. We're going to be reading Genesis chapter 4 verses 1 through 8. And if you are able, I'd like to ask you to stand with me in honor of God and his word as we read the word of God. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel, his brother, And it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Lord God, we thank you that this is your word. We pray that you'd speak to us as we look at it today. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And please be seated. I am not surprised that the older brother got angry at the acceptance of the younger brother's offering. I am not surprised with sibling rivalry. Or any human rivalry for that matter. I am not surprised at people positioning and controlling and manipulating circumstances. I am not surprised because I see the same tendencies in my own heart. When we set ourselves up to be king, there will always be rivals to our throne. How do you feel when others are preferred over you? How do you feel when someone else wins? How do you feel when someone else gets the promotion? When someone else gets the attention? The credit? When someone else overshadows you? It depends on where our hearts are at. It's all about worship. Our purpose as a church, at Grace Church, stated is that we exist to worship God, build up the believer, and reach the lost. Our first purpose in writing is to worship God. So it is of extreme importance that we understand our primary purpose. In Genesis 4, I want us to see the heart of worship, the enemy of worship, and also the goal of worship. First of all, the heart of worship. It asks the question, what is worship? 
Is it merely a weekly thing we do, sometimes with enthusiasm, other times out of duty? Is it something we do that we sometimes enjoy and other times endure, especially if the pastor goes a little bit too long? At its heart, worship is an offering. It's an offering. In general, worship is honor given to a superior being. It means to give honor, to reverence, to respect, to praise, to glorify. In Scripture, the word is used to refer to the honor that is given to idols, to material things, and also to the true God. Now, in Genesis 4, we see the first family growing. And then we see them worshiping. Cain and Abel each bring an offering to God. It's the first example we see in Scripture of worship. Look at Genesis 4 and verse 3. It came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering from the fruit of the ground. And verse 4, Abel brought an offering of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. Now, God must have given Adam and Eve detailed instructions they passed on to their boys regarding appropriate worship of God because they both come to God with an offering. Offering is a common Hebrew word meaning a tribute, the cereal offerings, the first fruits. Now, in giving this offering, the giver is acknowledging the superiority of the receiver. The creator God was entitled to the first part of the produce of plants, of animals, and even man himself. He was entitled to the best a worshiper had to offer. The best. Now in the Bible there are ten words. Six Hebrew words and four Greek words. Excuse me, four Hebrew words and six Greek words that are translated worship. They run the gamut in meaning um, from to bow down, to work, to serve. In fact, when God put Adam in the garden to cultivate it, that word is the word serve, which also means worship. The idea here is that uh, other ideas are to be in the presence of, to reverence, to respect, to adore. Worship also is, means to be devoted to, to show dignity and honor and glory. You see, worship is recognizing God's worth and acknowledging it in as many ways as possible. A common New Testament word for worship is proscunio, which means to kiss towards, literally to kiss the hand. It, it means to bow down, to actually to, to go face first and prostrate ourselves. The picture is of uh, of laying face down before a king with awe, with reverence, with honor. Now, as Christians, we apply this to God and lay ourselves before him, paying him the honor and respect due his preeminence. We gather every Sunday morning and we have elements within the service, singing and, and listening to beautiful uh, songs played on the piano and listening to a sermon. And the elements of the service ought not to bring 
focus upon the ones that are bringing those elements, the elements of the service are to direct us to honor God, to stimulate us to praise God. Now, at its heart, worship is about giving to God, not getting. Often we think of uh, what we get when we come to church. Now, each brother brought a gift appropriate to his job. They both come as priests. They both worship the same God. They both desire God's acceptance. God deserves the, the, and desires the best a worshiper has to offer. And Abel brought an offering from the firstborn. Now, God deserves and desires the best that we have to offer, not just in a worship service, but all through the week, every day. We're to freely give ourselves as spiritual sacrifices to God. Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable or pleasing to God, which is our spiritual service of worship. But if you think about it, what else can we offer to God? But our very selves, our very lives, our very beings. See, worship is a lifestyle that, that says, Lord, all I am, all I have is yours. Do with me, in me, through me, whatever you want, whatever you will. Now, there's someone in the New Testament that embodied that attitude. It was Mary. You remember the story of Mary and Martha as account in Luke 10. Mary sat at Jesus' feet while Martha was very busy with a lot of tasks. Sometimes we get really busy with tasks, even in ministry. But see, worship is different than ministry. John MacArthur said, Ministry is that which comes down to us from the Father, through the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit, to one another in the form of spiritual gifts. Worship, on the other hand, is that which goes up from us by the Spirit's power through the Son to the Father. Thus, ministry is that which descends from God to us, while worship is that which ascends from us to God. And both must be in perfect balance. Unfortunately, we tend to be too ministry and task-oriented often. Not oriented enough toward worship. But we need to learn from Mary how to sit at Jesus' feet. How to worship Him. Because everything else flows from that. We walk in here with any motive other than that. And things go astray. You see, worship is more than a weekly event that we attend. It is an offering to God. It's a preoccupation with God in, in every sphere of life. Worship is our purpose in life. It's, it's why we were made. The Westminster Confession begins, The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So we see that worship is an offering of God, to God. But as with any good thing, there are enemies, there are roadblocks that get in the way of true worship. I want us to look at the enemy of worship. The enemy of worship is anything that takes our focus off of God. 
anything that distracts us from our primary purpose, our primary pursuit. Falsehood, idolatry, selfishness. But you know what? It's not usually some huge thing we set up before ourselves. It's usually something subtle. It's usually something small and seemingly insignificant that one day we realize has become too big in our life. See, God wants to secure undistracted devotion to himself. Look at verse 4. Abel, on his part, brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, verse 5, he had no regard. He did not look with favor upon Cain's offering. So why was Cain's offering not acceptable? What was wrong with it? Now there's two common views. One is that Cain had a lack of faith. The other is that Cain did not come with a blood sacrifice. Lack of faith, no blood sacrifice. Another is that Cain's failure is found in the description of his offering. Look back to verse 3. In verse 3 it says, It came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. He brought some of the fruits. He did not bring the first. He did not bring the best. You could say that that the sin of Cain was tokenism. That he looked religious on the outside, but in his heart he was not totally dedicated to God. He was not dependent upon God. He did not come to God in childlike faith. John Calvin said of Cain, he wished to appease God as one discharging a debt by external sacrifices without the least intention of dedicating himself to God. You see, Cain's heart was not with God. Cain's heart was not right with God. His deeds were evil. His brothers were righteous. And in case you think I might be reading into the text here, go to 1 John chapter 3. We looked at that briefly last week. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, in the context of loving one another. This is the message which you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. And look at verse 12. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one. So we know that he was of Satan. He was of the devil. And he slew his brother. And then for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil. His brother's deeds were righteous. Isn't it amazing? Very first family. These two brothers. Diametrically opposed. One was evil. One was righteous. One was of Satan. One was of God. First John chapter 5 and verse 21. The last verse of First John. I always wondered why that verse said what it said. I was like, was this just a little add-on? What? I don't get it. Because the verse says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. I don't wonder any longer. 
That's our primary issue. That is our primary issue in life. You see, what we worship shapes us. What we worship consumes our thoughts. What we worship ultimately controls us. And it's not whether or not we will worship. It is who or what we will worship. We're all worshipers. Every one of us. We're going to either worship God or worship a God of our own making. We're often tempted to grant glory or praise to people or things rather than to God. We break the first commandment all the time. Exodus 20 and verse 3. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. It's very easy for us to start worshiping the very gifts that God gives. If we worship our family, our thoughts and our pursuits are centered on them and we are at the mercy of all the ebbs and flows of family life. If work is our God, we are consumed with it and at the mercy of bosses and co-workers. If money is our idol, we are constantly thinking of how to get more and we're at the mercy of changing fortunes. If status and control is our God, we constantly scheme and plan and try to find ways to get ahead of people, trampling over them in the process. If pleasing people is our God, We'll always be changing our convictions and our personality in fear of what others might think. If self-effort and religion is our God, we will constantly try to earn God's approval and do things that will put Him in our debt. And if we worship the one true God manifested in three distinct yet separate persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each of whom is God and to be worshipped as God, then we will be shaped and transformed by our exposure to Him. We'll desire to please Him. You see, true worship so satisfies us that we don't have to shop around for man-made substitutes. You see, Cain's response revealed his heart. God's rejection of his offering and Cain's response reveals the heart of Cain. And Cain's heart didn't change when God did not look with favor upon his offering. His heart was like that from the get-go. When he saw that his brother was worshiping God rightly, he became angry. He became jealous. In verse 5 we read that Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. He, He was downcast. He was visibly sad. And in verse 6, the Lord speaks to him. Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? If you truly seek to worship me, you'll be accepted. But if you don't do well, sin is crouching right at the door. And it's desiring you. God is speaking to Cain about mastering sin. And it's like a lion ready to devour. It's it's lethal. It's dangerous. You see, sin is larger than Cain and he could not rule it. Only Christ can rule it. And unless sin is checked immediately, it spreads quickly. We see that in Romans chapter 1. We see that in 1 Corinthians 5. Go to James chapter 1. In James chapter 1, we see the downward spiral of sin. James 1, verses 14 and 15. 
verse 13 reads, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. And then verse 14, But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Verse 15, Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. See, Cain gave in. And Jude 11 warns us to not go in the way of Cain. Don't go in the way of Cain. We are not to go the way that Cain went. You see, when we're not right with God, when our hearts aren't right with God, our countenance, like Cain's, falls. The fruit of God's Spirit is replaced with anger and bitterness and pride. But when we truly worship God and we offer all we are to Him, we're filled with His joy, His peace, His love. Our countenance is lifted up. We have this daily choice to make, whether to walk in the flesh and experience sin or walk in the Spirit and experience the abundant life in Christ. Only God can change our hearts. Only God can lift our countenance. Sometimes we try all manner of things to lift our spirits when it's truly God who can do it. John Newton said, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be. But still, I am not what I used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Only God can free us from the enemy of worship. And I, and I put enemy in the singular because it is so plural. <laughs> there are many enemies to worship. Lastly, we see the goal of worship. What is the goal of worship? The goal of worship is the pleasure of God. It's God's pleasure. That God would be pleased. That He would be enjoying our offerings to Him. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9, we read that we have as our ambition to be pleasing to Him. So we must ask the question, what kind of worship pleases God? Do we have to, you know, look a certain way? Or say a certain thing? Or do a certain action to really worship God, to really please God? Is there some kind of litmus test? Is there a prescribed way to worship God in Scripture? Yes. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, it's the same. We are to worship God with our entire being. All we are. You see, we see in Genesis 4 that not all worship pleases God. Go back to verse 4. Again, Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. And for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Now, I want you to notice the wording there. For Abel and his offering, for Cain and his offering. 
the worshiper is, is literally inseparable from the offering. That our offering reflects who we are. That there's a direct connection between who we are and what we bring to God. That God had regard for Abel himself and his offering. And that God had, did not have regard, did not look with favor on Cain himself and his offering. The person first, the offering secondary. So why was Abel's worship acceptable? Why was it pleasing in God's sight? What was, what was so good about it? It's the fact that he sought the pleasure of God. That he brought the first, he brought the best to please God, to, to obey God, to, to, to bring to God an offering that was pleasing. But he didn't just bring an offering. He brought himself. For Abel and his offering, God had regard. Now in John chapter 4, in the New Testament, Jesus speaks to a lady, surprises her. She had come to gather water daily to the well, getting water for the daily household needs. And Jesus, his disciples had gone into the city to buy food, and Jesus asks her a question. I'd like some water. Now she asks him a question in response. How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink and I'm a Samaritan? And the scriptures tell us Jews didn't have dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus responds, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew who you were talking to, you would have asked me for water. I would have given you living water. Now the lady... It's intrigued. She says, give me the water. I want the water. Now, she's not getting it yet. She's thirsty, but not. she doesn't realize her spiritual thirst. She's thirsty. She wants the water. And she says, I want this water because I don't want to come here every day and gather water. Heavy pot. There's a lot of water to carry. Then Jesus says, there is a day that's coming. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. You see, the lady started to talk about worship. And I used to think that that was because she was diverting Jesus from the main point. Because he exposed some things about her life. Lovingly, uncondemningly. Asking her questions. But I think she was starting to get the point. She says, I think you're a prophet. And he says, a day is coming. When the Father will seek worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. Now, what does that have to do with our worship? It has everything to do with it. See, the idea that there would be worshipers that God would seek, that would come to God by faith, that God wants us to worship in spirit and in truth, that that He wants true worshipers. And the, the phrase true worshipers is literally synonymous with being a Christian, with being a saint, with being a believer, with being a child of God, that it is describing our identity and our union with Christ. That the primary reason we're saved is not to make us happy, to not to make us fulfilled. The primary reason we're saved is so that we would worship God. 
we would worship Him with our whole being. But only believers can do that. Only believers can worship in spirit and in truth. Believers are indwelt by the Spirit of God. Believers live in the truth of God. And what matters most is not what is seen, but what is unseen. That in our lives, in our families, in our, in our worship gatherings, that God is most concerned with the heart. The heart behind our offerings. That we don't worship God in spirit and in truth when we ignore broken relationships and we attempt to present our offering to God. It's incongruous. Tonight, we're going to have a beautiful gathering of the family of God right here. And we're going to share a a simple meal. And we're going to wash one another's feet as Jesus instructed in John chapter 13. Men with the men, ladies with the ladies. And then we're going to celebrate the bread and the cup. The thing is, if we come to that gathering, if we come to this gathering with fractured relationships, in essence we're saying we're negating the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf for our sin if we let sin come between us and other people and even us and God. We are not worshiping God in spirit and in truth when we harbor bitterness and resentment toward others. There was an Italian poet named Dante Alighieri. He was once so immersed in meditation during a worship service that he forgot to kneel at the appropriate moment. Immediately, his enemies hurried to the bishop and demanded that he be punished for his sacrilege. Here's how he defended himself. If those who accuse me had their eyes and minds on God as I did, they too would have failed to notice events around them. And they most certainly would not have noticed what I was doing. See, we're easily distracted. I know I am. This week as I was preparing a message on worship, this week as I was preparing a message on offering to God all that you are, and it was amazing how many times I realized I do nothing of the sort. Yesterday was a prime example. We won't get into details, but let's just say I was in fine form. If we're honest, we seldom truly worship. And that we we waver on a moment-by-moment basis. And that sometimes what we call worship is not that at all. That our thoughts and our words and our actions, they betray us. They sell us out. God knows. God knows. So what do we do? As God brings these things to our minds, as God makes us aware of how often we are wayward, how often we can't measure up, we come to a crossroads. And we have a decision to make. We either go the way of Cain and keep going the way we're going, or we turn and we yield to God. That we turn from our waywardness. We admit that often we're more in love with ourselves and other things than Jesus. We can pray as the psalmist prayed. 
Psalm 19, verse 14. May the words of my mouth, may the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. Some of you, though, are weary. Some of you are in pain, deep pain. And you're discouraged. And you feel you have no strength whatsoever to even attempt to present an offering to God. God knows. God knows. There is a psalm, Psalm 141, verse 2, if I'm remembering correctly, that says, May my prayer be counted as incense before you. May the lifting of my hands be as the evening offering. See, sometimes we have, we have nothing. We're empty. Even simply lifting our hands to God. God knows. Even just saying, Jesus, help me. God, God hears. My prayer is that as a church, we will seek God's pleasure above all. That we will focus in God's strength upon our first priority. Worship God. And that we, like Abel, can deeply desire God. You see, Abel was a man of faith. You know how we know he's a man of faith? He's in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. He was right with God. Justification by faith here. God testifying about his gifts, his offering. And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. So how does Abel still speak? How does Abel speak today? His blood. Remember when God told Cain, the blood of your brother Abel is crying to me from the ground? Abel's blood points us to the Savior whose blood, Hebrews 12, 24 tells us, speaks better than the blood of Abel. How does Jesus' blood speak better than the blood of Abel? The blood of Jesus speaks peace, and righteousness and forgiveness to all who believe. See, in Cain we see ourselves. In Abel we see Jesus. We see Jesus. The worshiper who lost his life reveals the worshiped one who gave his life. Abel points us to the greater sacrifice. Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. By the grace of God, he tasted death for everyone. For everyone. Abel offered God a gift and was killed for it. Jesus was killed so that he might offer to us the free gift of eternal life. To save us from sin's power, to save us from sin's penalty, and then to lead us into a life of worship to the glory of God. Let's pray.
Lord God, we thank you and praise you for how good you are. We thank you, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, that we can even think about worshiping you all because of what you have done. Lord, we thank you, Jesus. Amen.